Good afternoon. You can either turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 or you can listen. I'm reading a short portion. Our consideration will be Galatians 2.20, but I'll read the two verses ahead of it just to give us context to help us understand the passage a little bit better. Verse 18 says, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And our verse is, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're looking for a title to this message, it's going to be Protection for the Church and Protection for the Christian. And that protection we're going to see is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Galatians is a wonderful book. Uh, especially holds a special place in, in my wife and I's heart because when we were first converted out of Roman Catholicism, our very first Bible study we went to, we went through the book of Galatians. And this is just a wonderful book to show us that we are accepted by God based solely upon the work of Jesus Christ alone and that we believe that. And when we believe that, God justified it. We were coming out of Roman darkness, which taught that Hopefully your good will make up for your bad and God will somehow, some way, let you go to purgatory. Sadly, if I were to wake up in flaming fire, if I died as a Roman Catholic, thinking I was in purgatory, I would be wrong. So it's very serious. So this book was just wonderful news for my wife and I, uh, which we studied well over 40 years ago. Now, when we take a look at, at my message, if you will, we'll look at the book, we'll look at the context, We'll look at the text, and then I'll have a couple points of application. So we'll go big here, medium, small, little. The first thing is the book. Why did Paul write this letter to the churches, plural, in Galatia? Remember, there's a reason for every letter that's written in God's word, whether it's the Corinthian church, the church in Rome, in Colossae, in Ephesus. There was always an issue that Paul found out about, and then he wrote a letter to address the issue. And in this particular case, Jews from James in Jerusalem had crept into the churches in Galatia and preached that it was good that they believed in Jesus Christ, but unless they were circumcised and kept the law of Moses, they cannot be saved. This angers the apostle in a righteous way and he uses stern language. In chapter 1, just listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another one. Those who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Notice, pervert the gospel. Of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what you have been, than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse or anathema or eternally condemned. And it's almost as if the people don't believe it. And Paul says, "Okay." He grabs him by the by the lapels and he says this. Turns up the volume to about eleven. He says, "As we have said before, so now I say again." If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be eternally condemned. 
This is stern language that the apostle is using. He also mentions in chapter 2 and in verse 4, he calls them false brethren. Doesn't call them brethren, he calls them false brethren. To be called a false brethren is to be called an unbeliever. And then, of course, in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has, my translation says, bewitched you, who has tricked you, who has cast a spell on you that you do not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ is clearly portrayed? Who did this? He wants to know. And then in chapter 5, he elevates the sternness even more so in verse 10, and he says that, they will bear their own judgment. Verse 12, he gets graphic here. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you, because he's dealing with circumcision, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved, is what was being preached. And Paul comes out against this. He says, I wish that those that basically was preaching to you that you need to be circumcised, I wish they would mutilate themselves. So, the apostle here uses very stern language throughout this book, reasoning from God's truth in the Old Testament, reasoning with regards to the Old Testament preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He reasons with that to combat this damning truth that someone could be accepted based on keeping the law of circumcision as well as the Ten Commandments. And... He even calls out Peter and Barnabas for their hypocrisy. They were telling the Jews that they are separate from the Gentiles when they congregate together. So when the Jews, these Jews from James would come in, they would separate from these Gentiles and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Paul sees that and he says, why are you acting like hypocrites? I'm just using my language here right now. Why are you acting like hypocrites? When you are with them, you eat with them. But then James and James's uh, men that, that came from James, it did, James did not preach this, but the men who came from James, when they came, then Peter and Barnabas withdrew from the, from the Gentiles, separated from them, and Paul called them out for their hypocrisy. Even Paul had such wisdom that he compelled Titus not to be circumcised. I find it interesting that earlier he told Timothy, get circumcised. It was a distraction to the gospel. And so Paul gets him circumcised. He's there. He's circumcised. Let's move on to Jesus being the Christ. But when it came to the issue of the gospel, and this is being proclaimed that unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved, Paul said, nope. Titus is not going to be circumcised because it's against the gospel. Our context is found here in verse 18 and 19. In verse 18, what Paul is basically stating is that if he were to rebuild what he had sought to destroy, that was salvation through works, salvation through the Mosaic law, if he were to do that, he would be preaching something that is contrary to God. He would be clashing with God. He would be clashing with the gospel. He would even be clashing against his own experience of the new birth. And he would be clashing against faith in Jesus Christ alone. Being justified by faith, Paul is no longer self-righteous. 
self-confident. He lets his self-esteem, so to speak, to go by the wayside. He is no longer uh, rejoicing in his Jewishness. I'm not sure Jewishness is a word. But he's no longer rejoicing in that. He rejoices in being a Christian. He is a Christian. Now, let me say something here about the law. The apostle is not saying that Christians are lawless. Oh, I'm under grace, and therefore I live lawlessly. He's, not, he's dealing with circumcision. He is dealing with the issue that even the Ten Commandments, which is the, the character of God, and we should indeed have a respect and, a, and an obedience to that because that's the real revealed will of God, but our approach is different. Our approach is different. We're not keeping the law to be saved. This is the revealed will of God. So just keep that in the back of your mind. We want to carry that with us because some have gone to the extreme saying, I'm a Christian, and then they become lawless, using profanity, getting drunk, doing dope, just doing all things under the liberty of we shall sin all the more so grace may abound. I just wanted to bring that out. Now, in verse 19... Paul says, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Okay, and that's explained now in our verse in chapter, in verse 20. But remember, when Paul said that he's died to the law, what he meant, and we'll, I'll expand this as we move into verse 20, is that the law, when it was proclaimed to him, it killed him. He died. He died to the law. Okay. However, he's not going to go back to the law and hope that the law will revive him and make him alive. So that's one thing that we need to consider. Uh, the power of the law is no longer to condemn the Christian. That's the good news of, of the gospel. But alive to God. Notice what he says there. Die to the law, I might live to God, which again guards against a sinful life, a, a life of, 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 of license to sin. Completely goes against that. So the question comes down to, well, then how are we to live, Paul? How are we to live? And he says in verse 20, by faith in the Son of God who loved him, he lives being declared righteous by God. So now let's look at our text now, verse 20. This is the protection of the church, and here we have Paul's personal testimony. It's interesting, he says, in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, obviously, he is not meaning that when Christ went to the cross, that he was crucified next to him. He's not saying that at all. He does say that I'm crucified with Christ. And what he's saying is that he was crucified with him. I'll use the word in a mystical way. And just hang on here. I'm going to use that word again, and I'll explain it here. But it was Christ, uh, Paul was crucified with Christ in a mystical way. He's, Christ suffered in his place, suffered for Paul's account. Now, mystical comes into being when you see Christ lives in me. You see that in the verse 20? Christ lives in me. It's halfway down. I've been crucified with Christ, so, but Christ lives in me. So, does he really mean that Christ is somehow, someway physically inside of his body? With the naked eye, you cannot see that. 
With the naked eye, you can't see Christ dying for his people. You just see a man dying on the cross. But there's a mystical relationship that goes on here between the believer and Jesus Christ. It is a truth that's beyond the intellect. That's what mystical means. It's a truth beyond the intellect. It's a belief in the unseen. A belief in the unseen. So, what Paul is saying is that when Christ went to the cross in a mystical way, in a way that is secret, that cannot be seen, somehow, some way, Jesus Christ poor, bore Paul's sins, as well as the sins of all of his people. He destroyed those sins when he went to the cross. Christ received that mortal wound by his crucifixion and his death, and then, as a result of that, Christ lives in me, is what Paul's saying. This is his testimony. It is no longer Paul living in the energy of his own efforts. That's what Paul is bringing out. When he says that Christ lives within me, we know that Christ is at the right hand of the Father, but in a mystical way, by the power of Jesus Christ, Paul now lives. It's a spiritual life. It's a life of righteousness since Paul was freely justified. He's a new creature in Jesus Christ. This does not mean that Paul is like a jellyfish is floating through the sea of God's love. Obviously, our Lord Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. This doesn't make the Christian to be lazy. They're not a jellyfish. We're not jellyfish. We are children of the living God. We have a spiritual life. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. This guards against, I'm going to say this again, a sinful life. When my wife and I were first converted, some that were told about the grace of God used it as an excuse of sin. I've been an elder in here long enough, and I've seen it happen to men would excuse their sin by claiming that they're under grace. And that was a very, very serious mistake that was made. They would take this particular doctrine. And Paul anticipates that. That's why he says he, says he lives unto God. He walks by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the question comes down to how are we to live now being under the grace of God? Remember, as a Jew... Paul was unregenerate. As a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He persecuted the church, as Brother Campbell brought out. He persecuted the church. He was the worst of the worst. However, Paul was no longer Saul the Pharisee, was he? He became Paul the Apostle. He had a life of righteousness and that, that, that life that he had was from the power of Jesus Christ, so all glory belongs to Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I now live in the flesh. We take a look a little bit closer at our context now. How is Paul to live? He says, by faith. So I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay? So that's his personal testimony. This is a, it's filled with theology about the fact of Christ's death meant Paul's death of his sins and that he now lives by the power of Jesus Christ. 
And he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, that means right now, as a living being, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, how do you live, Paul, in spite of the fact that there's a death, death of Christ, death of me, life, Christ lives within me. How does that, what does that look like? He says he walks by faith. He walks by faith. The object of his faith is the Son of God. It's not faith in faith. We've heard that many times. Oh, I have my faith. What's your faith in? Well, it's in faith. That's not what we're talking about here. That's just running in circles. Faith and faith is like faith in nothing, which is what it really is. Nor is it in his goodness. That's the most difficult thing, I think, brethren. When we came out of sin, when we came out of our state of being unregenerate, to see the great distance, Brother Richard read from our confession, that great distance between us and God because of our sin no one could bridge that gap. There's only one that could do that, and that's the sinless one, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the object of Paul's faith was in the Son of God, not in his goodness, but in another one's goodness. Looking unto Jesus for pardon of sin, looking unto Jesus for righteousness, and in this life, joy and peace. If I had it my way, I would command all of you when we sing, we have to have a smile on our face. But I'm not going to. I just preached it just now. But joy and peace is what the Lord Jesus gives us. We get to sing as if we ha we've had our sins forgiven. We have. We've had our sins forgiven. So there should be some amount of joy and peace and Granted, we have rough weeks and rough days, and on the way back, we may have been fussing with our spouse. Who knows? The kids might not have been acting the way they should have been. There's a lot of things that can really throw you off. But my dear brethren, Jesus Christ came to give us that joy and peace, which the law could never do. The Son of God is far greater than the law. Now, I'm not saying... Jesus and the law are opponents. The law is our opponent. The law commands us, you shall not, and we did. Commands us to do this, and we didn't. That's what the law does. You take a look at the law. If you're honest with yourself, you go through the Ten Commandments, you will see yourself as a breaker of that law. However, the Son of God is far greater than that. And Paul the Apostle derives a secret energy due to Christ's death. I use the word mystical. I'm going to use the word secret, invisible. It's something that cannot be seen with the naked eye. Remember this, is that the Christian derives his strength from Jesus Christ, just as a branch does from its vine. You separate the branch from the vine, that branch dies. Connected to that vine, and we live. We live. It's an ongoing endeavor to walk. My faith means to walk with your eyes to Jesus Christ, receiving and resting upon him alone for salvation. It should sound familiar. It's what we ask our members when they come into membership. But there's a receiving of Jesus Christ. There's a resting in Jesus Christ. There's an obedience to him because he is our Lord. 
That's why Paul is fighting so strenuously against his justification by the works of the law. It is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you can keep the law of God perfectly, you are your own savior. It's those that see their great need for Jesus Christ. They cling to Christ. They renew their peace with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the blessing of being a Christian, having sins forgiven. I want you to notice that the object of Paul's faith is, notice he says this, the Son of God. The Son of God. The Son has the same nature as the Father. He is the only begotten Son. There's no other sons proceeding from the Father. There's no other prophets or messengers being sent from the Father. Jesus Christ is that last prophet. Like I've told certain men whenever I give my testimony um, outside of the church, I bring up the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You know what? He's got my attention now. He should have yours as well. That's how we, at times, will witness. We talk about Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. That makes him so much different than all these other so-called sons of God, the Buddhas and the Eastern religions. Our Savior was raised from the dead. He is the Son of God, the only one sent by God, the only one authorized by God to be our priest, and the only one that we are to look to. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, who loved me. This love by the Lord Jesus is just not words. It is demonstrated. You know what a demonstration is? I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. I didn't grow up in the 50s. I use that term grow up loosely, I should say. I was raised in the 50s and the 60s. In the 60s, we always had these demonstrations against the Vietnam War. That was going on quite a bit in the, in the 60s. Uh, you could tell by the demonstration that these people were against the war and they brought out the atrocities that went on in the Vietnam War. The demonstration of Jesus Christ was him clearly being crucified for sinners. And that was not done by some picture, but it was done by the preaching of the word of God. And the death of Jesus Christ proved his love for his people. It's proven by how he gave himself to death. In this particular case, in this verse, for Paul. The Lord Jesus' love was particular to Paul prior to his love to Jesus Christ. It was also free. Paul had no worth. He had no value. He had nothing but sin. Persecuted the church. He was a Pharisee. He was unlovely, just as all of us were. And yet Paul was loved personally and particularly. Christ's work was particular as well for all of the elect of God. And this is true for all believers that see their need for Christ and believe upon him. We can say, Jesus Christ has loved me. He's proven it by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I know that Paul is specific here and personal, and we can be as well. There's nothing wrong, my brethren, 
We're telling unbelievers that we walk by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and given himself for me. We can make it personal. That's what Paul does. He makes it personal. He is combating a false gospel. And he's combating it by faith in Jesus Christ. And Christ went to the cross out of love for him. He made it personal. I find it interesting when you go through the book of Acts, you never see the apostles say, Jesus died for me, or Jesus loves me. Let me back up here. He, they never said, Jesus loves you, and Jesus died for you. He never says that at all in the book of Acts. Now, it may be true for those who believe, but the apostles' preaching and teaching was repent and believe the gospel. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's the one who will judge the living and the dead. Repent of your sins and believe upon Christ. I'm an unbeliever. Someone tells me God loves me. He's, yeah, I guess God would love me. I'm not that bad of a guy. Sure, why not? No, 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 no. Rick, you've broken God's law. God commands you to repent. He is still the Lord of your life. He gives you life and breath in all things. You are to repent. You are to believe. Maybe not as stern as the way I've just said it, but there should be that. And that's what was preached in the book of Acts. The love comes in to one repents and believes, and you can see it in the epistles. You see that love of God continually being brought out to brethren. The world needs to be aware of God's goodness. That there is no doubt. God has been good to you. He's given you food and shelter and clothing. However... God still commands all men everywhere to repent. It's just hard. It was hard for me to believe that God would love me when I saw how sinful I was. It was difficult for me. It may have been easier for you, but it was very difficult for me to think that God really loved me. Now, you know, love with spouses is understandable. Love for our children, love for brethren, love for pastors. Uh, you know, we hear... Those words, we love you, there's interaction, there's relationships there. You really can't have love unless there's some type of a relationship. But just think about how Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to you right now, brethren, how he has loved you in spite of your unloveliness. And Paul brings this out in such a strong way, in a personal way, that we can, as Christians, apply to ourselves and drive great comfort in knowing that the Lord has loved us with an everlasting love. What were we like before the Lord saved us and he still loved us into the kingdom of God? He didn't drag us kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God, but we came willingly because he first loved us and we now love him. And we see the son of God giving himself up on the tree suffering the wrath of God that should have fallen on us. We believe upon him. We see our sins taken away. His whole being, body, and soul was actively engaged in making, here's your $50 word, kids, propitiation. Propitiation. Turning God's wrath aside and giving us mercy. The wrath of God ready to fall on us. Propitiation takes it away. That's what the Lord Jesus did. And therefore, we have peace with God. Love for our souls moved the Son of God to his death. Love for our souls. It was free. Our Lord did it in a voluntary way. He did it for the joy that was set before him, even though he sweated great drops of blood. 
what he had to go through for our salvation. He died for sins. He died for sinners. And now as a result of that, we are dead to sin. Why should we live any longer in it? J.C. Ryle said, sin forgiven is shown by sin forsaken. Not that our forsaking of the sin cleanses us, but it shows that there's a sensitivity to our sin and there's a repentance and a belief upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And keep this in mind. Christ taking away our sin takes away the curse of the law. The curse of the law is a horrible thing. The law is good, but when that law comes to us and it convicts us of our sin, our hope is not that the law died for us. Jesus Christ died for us. The law condemns. Christ justifies us. Christ saves us from that condemnation. The law didn't love anyone. If I could say that, what I'm saying here is that the law was late. Do you know what I mean, that the law was late? The promise was given to Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The law came 430 years later. It cannot annul the promise. It cannot. So as a result, the law no longer has that power to condemn us. Jesus Christ has that power to continue to keep saving us from our sins. Paul and all believers have this secret communion with the Son of God who has loved us and given himself for us. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. His death makes us live. His death makes us love him as well as one another. So there's a couple of things for us. I've been applying this text throughout my entire sermon here, but I do have some other more direct points of application. And that is, when you get old like me, death is just getting closer and closer. Death is all around us, and death is within us. Uh, you get those words that you've got cancer, all of a sudden your mortality gets really, really personal. I... I knew I was going to die, I just didn't believe it until they told me I had cancer. Then I was convinced, okay, I guess I'm going to die one day. I thought I was just going to go to bed, you know, 80 years old and wake up in heaven. That's not going to happen. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. But Christ has brought us from death to life. The Christian has a great hope in his death even in his sickness, even in his trials, even in his difficulties, Christ is bringing that about for our good, for our benefit. And the Lord Jesus has died. He has suffered the wrath of Almighty God. Not that we're looking at death as some type of a friend. It's not. It's to be avoided at all costs. However, the death of the Christian, we are blessed. Finally, we get to go and be with our Lord and leave this world of chaos this world that's filled with sin, this world where people look at you like you're weird just because you, oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks, we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though the world may not, that doesn't mean that we go along with the world. We've been changed by the Son of God. We have faith and we have hope in the Son of God. Another point for us to consider is 
if by some freak chance you are tempted this week, think upon this. I don't know what your temptation might be. Maybe some of the things you watch on TV might be the internet. Got to be careful of that, young man, with the porn. Whatever temptation comes your way, it might be the issue of pride rising up. It might be disagreement with your spouse. There's a temptation to get into a fight, verbally speaking. Kids, a temptation to disobey your parents or not obey them with a smile on your face. Whatever those temptations may be, go back to faith in Jesus Christ. I live by faith. I walk by faith in the Son of God. I renew my peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The temptation comes, you turn from it and say, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me. Give me grace to walk away from that temptation. God has promised a way out. He always has for his people. So whatever that temptation may be, wives, you may be getting upset with your husbands, Temptation is to show them no uh, respect, okay? Just remember, you're to walk by faith. Husbands, showing love and regard and, and to sacrifice for our wives, the way we raise our children, whatever that temptation may be, this is to be of help to us that we can say, I walk now by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and given himself for me. I'm dead to sin. Therefore, give me grace to walk away from that. And kids, if that temptation continues to come on to where maybe you're not nice to your siblings, or there's the temptation to cheat on a test, or to disobey your parents, or not to obey them cheerfully, there's a great savior for, for children, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, let the little children come unto me. So kids, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a great savior. He will save you from your sins. He has the power to do that. He is more willing than you are. Come unto him. Pray. When you get up in the morning, pray that the Lord would show you your sins and show you your need for Jesus Christ. And then lastly, for the church, for the protection of the church, brethren, we are in the church. We need to be very careful of bad teaching in other places, the false teaching that puts the gospel out of sight. Give us distractions. Now, again, I'm going, probably the fourth time I mentioned this, my wife and I are newly converted, and it seems like the crazies come out of the woodwork then and start telling you, oh, well, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do the other. For us, the big thing was speaking in tongues. You got, unless you speak in tongues, you know, you're, you're missing out. You know, unless you get the gift, you're really, really missing out. And we're new believers. We're barely into a church. And thankfully, there's an older Christian that caught wind of this. He came to us and helped us greatly, saying, don't give these people the time of day. This is not going to be a help to you at all. It's Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that you keep coming back to. So we need to be careful, especially with our children, of what is told to them in other places. It might be in your so-called Christian school. Be very, very careful of what's being promoted to your children. 
children can fall away. They can fall away to unbelief. I've seen it happen too many times to a works righteousness or a distraction from the gospel. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel of your dear Son. We thank you that it's by his stripes we are healed. We thank you that it's by himself he has saved us from our sins. We give you thanks and praise you now for this great privilege that we have to partake of the Lord's Supper, to remember what our Savior has done on our behalf. Seal these words to your people. Convict our children that they would come to Jesus Christ. Richly bless your people, Father, with encouragement and joy and peace from you. We thank you again, Father, for your mercy towards us. Pray again that the Lord Jesus Christ would be foremost in all of our minds, the preacher forgotten, the message remembered. Hear our prayers, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.